0: Are you looking for a light read, something fun, something entertaining? Well, check out Book Interrupted's blog. You can find Manuscript Mondays, Topic Tuesdays, Word Wednesdays, Thought Thursdays, Fact Fridays, and Silly Saturdays. Sundays are reserved for Down the Rabbit Hole, or Top 10 lists, artwork, and more. Don't forget, Be sure to check out Book Interrupted's blog at www.bookinterrupted.com forward slash blog.
1: Parental guidance is recommended because this episode has mature topics and
2: strong language.
1: Here are some moments you can look forward to during this episode
2: of Book Interrupted. That kind of started why we wearing orange shirts on Orange Shirt Day.
3: The story is told and it does what a good story does. It stays with you to reflect on later.
4: The inside of some of the residential schools were below freezing. Nobody cares anyway. Just because Mm of your
2: heritage, you'll be assumed guilty. So you might as well just say you're guilty. And the Canadians gave
1: them all fresh drinking water (laughs) for all these people and they're not even doing it for their own people.
3: The system, it's like a giant microaggression. So how do people live every day in it? Mind, body and soul. Uh, inspiration is uh, And we're going uh, to
1: Welcome to Book Interrupted, a book club for busy people to connect and one that celebrates life's interruptions. If you'd like to join along, this book cycle is from October 24th to December 4th. It's Kim's book pick and we're reading They Called Me Number One by Bev Stellars. In this frank and poignant memoir of her years at the St. Joseph Mission, Stellars breaks her silence about the residential school's lasting effects on her and her family, from substance abuse to suicide attempts, and eloquently articulates her own path to healing. Let's listen in to this episode's group discussion.
3: So what about this book? Did you you guys finish it? I did. No, I did. I didn't. No, not yet.
4: I don't. It's not that I don't want to finish it. Yeah, I'm still working on it. I'm actively reading it. I'm just, a lot's going on right now. And I, so I read little chapters and I digest and I think about it. I feel like That's just better for me anyways. I don't want to sit down and plow through the whole thing. So I am still working on it, but I'm actively working on it. I should get it done by the time we talk about the fan episode. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) by that point, but I'm enjoying it. I just, just a slow read for me, slow read in general for me. Yes. My life, you know, book interrupted, (laughs) lots of interruptions over the last few weeks, but, but yeah, everyone else? I finished it kind of did
2: the opposite, I think, of you. I did like big reading sessions. I found it kind of fast, I guess. I was worried that it was going to take me a really long time because the subject matter. I Mm. thought it would be one of those, if I read a book that's got a lot of trauma in it, it's kind of like reading the book and then depression and then like trying to get back to it. And I don't know if it says something about me that that was not my experience of this book, or maybe that's why I kind of did it in big chunks. Thinking back, I probably did have some depression But I did it in bigger chunks. I mean, we were talking also a lot about truth and reconciliation in our house because of truth and reconciliation day and because of orange shirt day with my kids, because they're very interested. And that's a tough conversation too, because they want to know everything and you still have to try to make it age appropriate in a way. But, you know, my kids, they just dig and dig and dig. They know when it's being age appropriate and they want details. <laughs> and so yeah, we try to, like, okay. you us know. Give those yeah. details outside of our age Oh range. man, <laughs> always. But then they picked up the orange shirt story and it's by Phyllis Webstad who had the orange shirt that was taken away when she went, that's got beautiful artwork. But anyway, so guys, maybe a little bit like entrenched in the whole subject matter. So
3: mm-hmm. it was almost like normalized for you at that time instead of being. That's what we were doing. Yeah. Like,
2: so
4: they're asking questions, and then I'm reading and trying to answer questions too at the same time. So can you tell me before Kim you say something? What what's the story of the orange shirt? And I don't know that. So Phyllis Webstead is an indigenous woman, but when she was a kid, she
2: had to go to residential school. And so the before she went, her grandmother. Took her to town and let her pick out a shirt, and she picked up this beautiful orange shirt. And she was excited to go to school. She was like, "I'm gonna get everybody know goes, and I want to learn to read." And it was an exciting thing for her. The ideas that she had about this, what going to school would mean. And when she got there, they took it away from her. They cut her hair. Then she experienced kind of like the residential school system with like the coldness, and and it was not what she was expecting. And she never got it back that story and the symbolism in the story and that kind of started why we wearing orange shirts on orange shirt day that's why they're orange is this story kind of started that wearing an orange shirt to, to raise awareness so she has more than one book but anyway the kids want to know they they were telling me stuff about orange shirt day which is great because they're learning it in school and so they wanted more and more and more stuff so we've got
3: some kids books now and some adult books as well in spite of your school trustees best efforts, <laughs> yeah. right? They're, they're cool. still learning it in school.
2: Luckily we have some school trustees that think that indigenous education is important. So that's nice.
3: Yeah. I felt like I read this book, like I read all books. I try to do the chapter. And if they're super short chapters, sometimes I'll read more than one chapter. These chapters I felt were longer. Uh, I think there's only 14 chapters in the whole book if I'm not mistaken. So I just read it a chapter at a time. I want to tread lightly, but considering preconceived notions, because this book is about an individual's experience at residential school, similar to Mare, I didn't find it. I don't want to take away from the experience that the author had and any indigenous person at a residential school had, because obviously it was horrific, but to read this book, it was safe for me to take in the information. The way that she told the story was in such a way that it allowed me to continue reading. She's not censoring anything. Like it's all in here, but it wasn't as, I thought like, I want to say like, it wasn't as painful or it wasn't as hard, but I don't, when I say those things, I feel like I undermine the experience of people who went to residential school. So I don't want that to be the impression that I leave, but I also want to encourage people to read this book because it is readable, I guess is, a, is the best way to say it.
2: I know what you're thinking because I've been thinking about this too. Cause I was like, okay. it's, the subject matter is upsetting and stuff. She's telling the story and it's like, she's not trying to manipulate Your feelings. You know how sometimes you're reading a fiction and the author is trying to manipulate your feelings so that you feel the feelings I want you to feel. But it's like this book isn't trying to manipulate you in any way. It's just giving you the story, and so you're taking in this information in kind of a factual way. And then later on, when you think about the facts, that's when your feelings kind of come up. You're not being manipulated into feeling the feelings. You'll have the feelings, but while you're reading it and when you're reading something and feel anxious and stuff, you're not taking it in, but that's, this is not doing that to you.
3: It's yes. giving you the facts. That's a great way to put it. Right.
1: I have another point. I was, cause I've been thinking about this a lot too, Two. because of the tone of the book. There is a section in the book where she talks about how being a residential school made her, unfortunately, taught her not to ever express her emotions when she felt pain, physical, emotion, or emotional mm-hmm. or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And there's a section in the book where she went to that physiotherapist and they put those electrodes on her and told her if they hurt, let them know. And it burned her so severely The guy came back because he smelled flesh burning. He's like, why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you say anything? And she said she felt stupid, but she had been so conditioned not to express any pain whatsoever. She just let it happen. So I was thinking after reading that part of the book and then other parts where she knew she wasn't expressing her emotions, even though she was having them, that maybe the reason this memoir is neutral and even no matter what information she's telling you is because she's been traumatized, not to have the ups and downs in emotion, but always to remain neutral,
4: regardless of the content of the information mm. she's.
3: Experiencing. Sharing. Yeah. Right. Or sharing. Yeah. Totally. That's a
4: good point. That's really interesting, Sarah. And I also think that she, from what I've read, I mean, she also says the good things, but the things that she also you know, connected with certain people or when they got to go outside or different things like that. So I think there was some balance in her storytelling of not saying just everything was absolutely horrible all of the time. Here are some things that I took from it that was good for me. Here's
3: the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's painting a whole picture.
3: I really like what you said, Mare, because that helps me to understand my experience of the book. And it's exactly right. It's the story is told and it does what a good story does. It stays with you to reflect on later. And then you do have these deeper emotional experiences of the book. If you take the time to reflect. So, and then to Lindsay, who is reading it slower, good <laughs> right because you're you know taking it in, in that way and it'll probably be able to resonate with you and I wouldn't say I read it fast or anything else yeah because I was confused and concerned about how to share that um I could read the book but yeah it isn't is there yeah. something
2: wrong with me right? Or yeah like it's, yeah it's not like my heart
4: is black but yeah. there's something about this book and the way it was delivered delivered
3: that Mm
4: -hmm. it was just matter of fact like she just kind of mm -hmm. said the facts just like sarah said that
3: you know without all the emotion yeah and then when you think about it it's really really emotional
1: this interruption is brought to you by unpublished do you want to know more about the members and book interrupted go behind the scenes visit our website at www.bookinterrupted.com book
0: interrupted have you ever seen the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? I think it's from the 80s or 90s and literally the same day gets repeated over and over and over and over and okay, you see where I'm going with this. So my interruption as of late is that I feel like I am trapped in Groundhog Day. It's literally driving me Crazy. I have like a few different jobs, and one of the jobs that I do is acting as an academic advisor for a coach training program and assisting current students, graduates, alumni, as well as prospective students who want to register for a few of our different coach training courses, except that (laughs) right now there is a disconnect so the company that I work for doesn't have complete and total control over the website design because we're working on this program as an affiliate like in partnership with another organization and it's that other organization that runs the IT anyways the IT fellow and his team on the other end like god bless them They are so overworked. They've got so much going on and they just aren't able to offer a timely (laughs) support. But... Nonetheless, the setup of how you register for courses on the website isn't at its final stage. So it's not completely clear. It doesn't necessarily flow as well as it could. And needless to say, prospective students who, you know, are still on the learning curve of trying to understand, you know, like what is coaching? Is it a good fit for them? How would they proceed with becoming like a certified coach? which courses then within the entire program to sign up for. So they have all those questions. And then they meet our website, which is clear as mud. And I literally, I just spent the entire day just answering emails and phone calls with the exact same questions over and over and over again. And I feel like I'm losing it. You know, you want to give a white glove approach, you know, like really customize your conversations, be engaged, have that warmth. But it's hard to do that when I just feel like I'm a robot. So this has been, oh goodness, for the past few weeks, my interruption as of late. So I am so hopeful that we will get those website updates done soon so that things are a bit more clear so that I can get out of this repetitive loop. And that is my interruption. Book interrupted.
4: I didn't read the back, but I flipped to the back because I always—I'm really bad and read the end of books like, before I, need I the finish edge. them all the time. <laughs> I know I'm that person. People hate that, but but there was there was notes or something. No, yeah, about, no, it's on it was each
3: chapter. Said yeah,
4: when I was flipping through it about the coldness of no, I can't find it at all there was somewhere in here it says that there was times when they had done some research or something and that the inside of some of the residential schools were below freezing Mm -hmm. which I thought was you know I mean maybe she talks about it later but the stuff that I've read like she says it's cold but she doesn't really say too much but then at the end she says more of those kind of facts how cold is cold yeah how cold is cold that's cold and then you find out yeah, below yeah. freezing. because you think cold and you're like oh okay just grab a blanket or whatever but then you're like no no no, it's like minus it's extreme, extreme yeah it's extreme like you're freezing it's like the food they'll say the food was inedible well how inedible because it tasted bad
2: no it was rotten yeah right like it's yeah. actually you shouldn't feed that to somebody yeah but then she'll say it was cold but later on you're like well how cold is it it's yeah it's freezing cold not just i need a sweater i'm a little chilly yeah yeah and there's a yeah. lot of
3: that and bringing it back to sarah's observation that makes so much more sense now right she's saying all these things and she's also saying them in a way that she can't complain and be like isn't that outrageous you know what i mean she's like yeah it was cold when we went to bed at night then later on you find like oh it's below freezing cold and rotten food and whatever right so it's just so i guess layered in its value. I don't know. Maybe value is not the right word. It's just so layered in its what content in its gift. You know what I'm saying? Like in its essence.
2: Sure. But maybe it's also like when you read a new book, you're learning how to read the book in the author's voice. And so that's something to know going into reading this book is that when it's enough to note that it's cold, it's really cold. Otherwise (laughs) she wouldn't have brought it up, right? Yeah. You know, she wouldn't have said it's cold if it was just a little bit chilly from time to time, or, you know, they wouldn't even talk about somebody feeding the food to the pigs because they didn't want to feed it to the children.
3: I also like hate that. I'm like understanding it right now, even what that means is that it was so brainwashed, beaten, whatever word you want to use out of the children to just accept the shit. There's no voice for you. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, that is like, it's really upsetting. <laughs> this book isn't nice anymore. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't nice in the first place. When you do this, like what we're doing right now and you talk about it and you kind of understand, it's really upsetting.
2: And then later on in the book is, you're still reading it, Lindsay, but you know, you read the end anyway. So it's not worth yeah. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Beginning is she's talking about the residential school. And then later on, she's talking about kind of adult life, that the fallout of all that stuff. When people get arrested, when adults get arrested they'll just say they're guilty even if they're not because they were taught that nobody cares anyway just because mm-hmm. of your heritage you will be assumed guilty so you might as well just say you're guilty and so that kind of thing too where it just snowballs or you know she talks about you know people not talking about it was also yeah and that's why it's so good that it's being talked about now because people were taught not to talk about it we don't care about your feelings or what you think just take the shit and be quiet. And be quiet about it. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. The other thing too about talking about the adults and how you know the people around her fared one way or another, it's not over. Residential school wasn't like a moment in time. It's a life sentence and a generational, not just some one person's life either. The residual impact of the training, I guess you would say, at those schools is still being worked out today even though they've been closed since what 96
1: only 96
3: oh and you know what else it said too that I think was interesting for first of all indigenous knowledge more validation because indigenous knowledge and especially like indigenous science is not recognized by traditional settler science because we're all like math and make it add up right but indigenous knowledge it's not proof it's just like no no we know and the proof is in our millions of years of knowing this, right? It takes seven generations for the effects of the trauma to be out. Maybe it wasn't even in this book that I learned that. It might've just been in a presentation on trauma and ACEs when there was a research done on, I think it was like mice who got shocked and they made a smell happen when the mice got shocked. And so the children of those mice When they smelled that smell with no shock, still had a a reaction like, "Uh uh-oh.
2: Right, we're talking about like epigenetics. Exactly. Epigenetic marker based on trauma. Yeah, yeah.
3: And it lasted for seven generations. The children of the children of the children of the mice still had the same response to the smell. And I just thought it was interesting that it was seven generations because that's a lot of Indigenous spiritualities around like, seven generations backwards and seven generations forward. We're not living for ourselves today. We're living for the seventh generation from us to make sure that the world is good for them. That's a long time.
2: I have another chemism that goes on with this. Cause I'm not sure okay. where I read this either. <laughs> okay. And I don't know yeah. if it was this book or a different book or a website or whatever. Again, I've been doing a lot of reading from different things around this subject, but it was talking about cultural genocide and that, once the cultural genocide stops, it takes at least 40 years for the culture to start recovering, to get back to where it's getting into recovery. And the point, it might've been a website. The point that this person was making was that it hasn't stopped yet because there's still the systemic racism in the whole culture, Canadian culture as a whole, that still hasn't stopped that. So, you know, we're on this road to healing, but it is going to take a while. Yeah. Yeah. So Squiggy
1: had suggested at some point the book Seven Fallen Feathers. I'm listening to the audiobook through Libro FM. This book is about seven murdered Indigenous childrens in North Bay. Because of the seven, there's a whole prophecy about the settlers coming. The, the seven associated with it, and when it reached seven, this woman. She works for the Toronto Star, she started doing an investigation on it. This book's excellent actually for, she goes into residential schools, she goes into murdered and missing indigenous women. She goes into the high suicide rates of indigenous children from the age of 10 to 18, which is 10 year old. And it's there's lots of horrific stuff. But what she talks about is the high levels of racism that these children, experience when they come from their remote northern residences to North Bay because they have to go there for high school. And all the ways the community is trying to help them adapt into North Bay because they have to go there. But the amount of racism gets the, the level is so high. I'm halfway through the book, but people like throw rotten eggs at them and call them horrible things like go back to your res or drunk Indians, like the one woman, her son was missing. She called the police station and they said, he's probably still at the party when he went missing. And she's like, he's not, he's not at the party. He's, he must be drunk somewhere. And they didn't even start the missing persons for six days what? for six days. Cause he's just so partying somewhere. Like it's just anyway. So I think they called me number one. It's a really great starter book. get into residential schools because you can take in the information and and also be great for schools because like you said discussing all the individual parts really starts opening up what she's saying and discussing it that's where the sorrow right and empathy and the how can this happen comes from but then going to books like seven fallen feathers or five little indians or the truth and reconciliation documents i think This is a good stepping stone because you're getting into the information about all the horrific things and then going into what people are still experiencing now.
3: Yeah, because that's the challenge is it's truth and reconciliation, right? The truth is so important, but the truth is also so devastating and horrific. And I like I can't come up with an adjective, you know that does it justice to just how bad the truth is. And so there's obviously a resistance from people who would rather not know because you don't automatically go pursuing terrible truths, but you need to, like we need to because it it must be known so that then reconciliation can happen without the truth. Reconciliation stalls and the truth is terrible. (laughs) So I think it's a valid point you're making, Sarah, if you're cautious into learning, you know, they called me number one is a good way to start. And then there is obviously much more literature and information out there for you to continue to learn. Right. But it's our job to pursue the truth. If we have any desire to participate in reconciliation in any meaningful way.
2: Right. Right. I want to add something to what you said there. Okay. I'm reading this, the summary of the final report of the truth and reconciliation commission of Canada summary. It's, it's yeah. It's thick. Uh, it's re- yeah. It's thick. because, because and, But that's the also the point. really long. But the actual um,
3: report is full of people reporting the atrocities. Reporting. That's why it's, it's so huge.
2: One of the women in here said, she's like, now we say truth and reconciliation, but at the beginning we used to say truth healing and reconciliation. It's like, we cannot forget about the healing part because that is so important. The truth is just part of it. And then there's all these people who need to heal, the people who experienced it, and then also our society and how it works as a whole too, to get to reconciliation. So there's a lot of stuff in the middle.
3: Yeah, it can't just be like rushed through.
2: Also making space... To let people heal. On our Truth and Reconciliation Day, there was an event in our big park here, which used to be the village of the local Indigenous people before people burned it down. But now it's a beautiful park. And so there was an event there and they had a public event for everybody. And then they had a private event for survivors and their family. I think that's what it needs to be. If we're going to be allies, we need to do the work and show up and all that. And show that we want to be part of this. And then also accept that we're not really part of all of it. Because there's a whole other community that's doing their healing. Anyway, I like that truth, healing, and reconciliation. But I think, you know, for a PR standpoint, they like to shorten things down for whatever reason.
3: Yeah. And it can't mm-hmm. just be rushed through. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's get on with it. We need to, okay, yeah. Because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it has to be sat in.
1: There's a something else that they said in the Seven Fallen Feathers was, so when Justin Trudeau one of his campaign promises was he was going to raise right now, indigenous schools get 2% uh, funding and non-indigenous schools get 3.8, something like that percent funding, close to four. I'm almost twice as much. Let's say, but the point is twice as much. And Justin Trudeau said he was going to raise it as of right now. He still hasn't.
3: Well, that's like the water thing too. There are so many communities that don't have clean water and sewage and whatever else. And he had made some commitment about that too. And there's a webpage that's counting, but also some of the things that say like 13 done, 79 to go or whatever the numbers are, some of the 13 done are actually back to not being done because the solutions are band-aids rather than long-term.
2: Again, it's the looking at a short solution rather than a seven generation solution.
3: And it makes me like, those (laughs) are the things that make me question reconciliation at all because the history of what I know basically summarized is trying to work together settlers not holding up their end of the deal kind of selfishly and so what's different now you know like I that's and when you hear about the water situation and even that school fund like you know what I'm saying also back to a point the mayor was making earlier about the, I don't know what you characterized it at, but it's not over yet. Like it takes 40 years to heal, but it's not even stopped yet. Literally society is like a giant microaggression for anyone who's not a white settler, the ancestry, the system. It's like a giant microaggression. So how do people live every day in it? It's just, and I don't like it's overwhelming, but that's also a fact if you put yourself or try to anyways, in a non-white person's shoes that's their like fucking every day like that's their reality
1: yeah it's like how she was saying until she met her second husband she just didn't want to be around non-indigenous people she didn't trust them she was afraid of them and it was only seeing him with them because she was feeling inferior and she was being afraid that they were going to hurt her in some way so she just avoided them anyway so Wait. I was talking about this book and another book with my husband. In this book, they also mentioned the water and how they went to Sri Lanka when all the tsunamis happened, and the Canadians gave them all fresh drinking water for <laughs> all these people, and they're not
2: even doing it for their own people at home. And right, so you, they've demonstrated that they can do it. <laughs> You're like we know you can do it. Right,
1: that's the point. They can.
2: Like they're going around the
1: world for their amazing emergency tactics and. Oh, he's just saying, like, I don't understand why things hasn't changed. This is the most important. Like, this is morally wrong. People are aware now. He's like, some people are talking about it, but not enough to make a change in Canada, which is like heartbreaking. I was like, why don't we make force our government to say what they're going to do and do it?
2: Yeah. That's yeah, a funny it's thing, like, right? Imagine you had you could go to jail if you didn't like fulfill your campaign promises. They uh, would be a lot more careful on what they promised. Yeah, totally. Right? They're like, well, now you've got you're finished being the prime minister. Here's a list, and now you must sentence. go to jail for yeah. five years or whatever, fifty, whatever it is, fifty.
1: Whatever the truth is, it is yeah. like, why are we shocked that Indigenous people don't trust our government or
3: any system?
2: I'm not shocked. <laughs> That's like a good position. Maybe. In
1: her book and other yeah. books are like, why didn't you go to the police? Why on earth would we go to the
2: police? Why I go to the police? Yeah.
3: How yeah, crazy I is see that? I like, I run. The person that's supposedly designated to protect you is actually the person that's like harming you. And there's no alternative. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like there's another justice representative that you can go and get help from. It's just...
1: Yeah, microaggressions everywhere and no one to go to because they're part of the aggression. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Book Interrupted. If you'd like to see the video highlights from this episode, please go to our YouTube channel, Book Interrupted. You can also find our videos on www.bookinterrupted.com.
3: Have a listen to our off-the-shelf episodes. These are the silly, fun, and weird, wonderful... Things we do when we get off cue. So, listen to our off-the-shelf episodes to hear more and more from us, the Book Interrupted crew. I think you'll love it, and I know you'll laugh.
1: Moments you can look forward to on next week's Book Interrupted.
3: I also think it's important, and maybe we've been negligent a little bit in this conversation, to note all the accomplishments that she had too. Like, She's not just, I went to residential school.
4: Do you really, really think that you're going to be alive, that that's going to happen in your lifetime? She had an IQ test. She's like, and I know
2: IQ tests are not the end all and be all, but she's got a really high IQ and she was told basically her whole life that, she was not smart. We should have just killed them. So part of me thinks, well, hopefully they have learned that when that happens and we're at their doors asking for help, they're like, you're on your own.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Book interrupted.
3: Never forget every child matters.